It's the little man that could, the little man that would, C.L. Whiteside, and you are listening to the Non-Microwave Truth, a podcast brought to you by Time of Grace. And the whole point of this podcast is to challenge culture's truth and perspective and compare it to the Bible, and then to look at it from the lens or the perspective of biblical truth. AKA the non-microwave truth. Haha, <laughs> you, you see how I did that there? But let's get into our first world problem today. Last week we used John chapter 8 for a big portion of our discussion in, in last week's episode. And if you aren't familiar with that or you forgot, that is when the Pharisees brought the woman to the temple courts when Jesus was preaching. And they're like, man, hey, we caught her in adultery. Now, our first world problem question is this. If you remember, they kept trying to trap Jesus. They kept trying to get him to to answer a question. They were like, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And I don't know if you caught this, but if you remember Jesus's response, he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And then they kept questioning him. And then he said this thing. He said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And guess what he did again? He stooped down and he wrote on the ground again. So our first world problem question is this. Two parts. What in the world do you think Jesus was writing on the ground? Like, I don't think he was just doodling and drawing stick men. I mean, he could have, but. I I just don't think that. I mean, like, could he have been writing Bible passages? I've seen some people guess that he was writing down the name of the accusers and then the sins of the accuser that no one knew about. So, like, let's say let's say one of the accusers was having an affair himself. Jesus would just write down affair and maybe the name of that woman. Or let's say one of the accusers had murdered a man before. He would write down the name of the man that was murdered and maybe like what happened a little bit. Bottom line is he would write down something that would let them know like, hey, I know about you too. I know the stuff that you thought nobody knew about, but I do. But again, we don't know. This is all speculation. And I think there's an absolute beauty in God not telling us. It's a beauty in God not telling us because let's say if if he did start writing down specific sins and the author wrote down those sins, we would be arguing about that sin being greater than another sin and lose focus of the fact that Jesus was not there to condemn that woman. Or let's say he wrote down something else. It really just doesn't matter. Like this is a prime example that God gives us what we need to know. And there are certain things that he leaves out. And you know what? That's okay. And the second part of our first world problem question, I was just curious, like, why did it make the point that Jesus bent down on the ground and he wrote with his finger? Like, why didn't he use a stick? Was this supposed to be more humbling? Is this supposed to show us that God can take a lowly position to exalt us, to take the heat off of us? Was this noted to show us that when people are trying to trap us with questions and we can feel that and know that, that maybe we should just take a step back and write some stuff down. And if it comes down to writing it in the ground, it's better than not writing it at all. But I don't know. I do not know. But this is our first world problem question. First part is, what do you think Jesus stooped down 
and wrote on the ground. And the second part is, why do you think it made note that he wrote on the ground with his finger? This is at the beginning of John chapter 8 if you wanted to go read it again too. And of course, I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is championlife23 and this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode today is Cult or Christian? I was scrolling on Netflix looking for something to watch. So I kind of went to like the, the top 10 for that day or that week or whatever, how, or however it works. And on there, it had something that might have been like, I think it was like number three or number four that was titled Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. And when I looked at the summary of it, it has something about fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. They call themselves Mormons. So I actually watched a couple episodes and it was crazy, straight up crazy. And I just started thinking like, how many people think Christianity is, is really like this? Because they were doing stuff in the name of Jesus. They called themselves Christians without a doubt. And I've definitely heard people say like, I don't want to get into that religion stuff or go to a church because they're trying to brainwash you. They're trying to force you to do certain things. And I started thinking, like to the outside world, is every denomination in some form or fashion like a cult to them? And when I was watching these episodes, I couldn't deny the fact that these people had definitely been brainwashed. And they even had people that eventually left FDLS, which is the acronym for Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, which is this whole documentary is based off of. And to me, it was just obvious that it was a cult. It was obvious to me that it wasn't Christianity. But I guess a lot of times if you don't look into it and look at the red flags, I guess people see red flags in the Christian church. It's like, that's a red flag. Pastor telling me to give some money, red flag. <laughs> but it's like, come on, it's levels to this. And what I mean by that is like a red flag to me was when they said they were the only true faith and people of God or like they were huge into polygamy. They had multiple wives for the men and it was like the higher degree of salvation equates to the more wives you have. And it was so crazy. Like this would have been a red flag. Dude was getting rid of all of the young boys so that he could marry all of the young girls and or give them to his older members. This is like the leader or the prophet of the FDLS. I'll just use that as the acronym because I don't feel like saying the whole name. But like another red flag was it was about obedience not obedience to God. It was about obedience to the leader. He had this quote that was something like, be led by a hair. That means listen to me specifically, perfectly. Don't challenge me because you know a hair could break. And I just got to thinking, how many people really think that Christianity is in some form or fashion, maybe not exactly like this, but at least kind of like this? And I guess in our American culture, we're kind of taught to be leery of this. But at the same time, we have tons of other cult-like groups that we don't necessarily think of or we're a part of all the time, like frats or sororities or just certain teams or organizations, especially y'all, some of y'all in pyramid schemes. And you don't even know, but hey, 
or like the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Yes, I said the political parties. I did. And the reason I just named it, none of these groups are for sure cults. I'm not saying at all. I'm saying they could be, could be. Not that they always are, not even that they usually are, but they could be. There's a chance. And the chance comes down to when the number one priority is them and it's not God. And it has a big time leader who's saying, follow everything I say like I am God. Now, on this episode of cult or Christian, I'm going to give you six characteristics of a cult. The first one is that they teach that Jesus came to earth to form an organization and only through that organization, people can be saved. And if they leave that particular organization or if they leave that particular group, they will lose salvation. They will lose eternal life. And like I said, some of the things that I just listed, that was a big time stretch. But have you ever heard someone say, you're not a true Christian if you're not a Democrat or if you're not this denomination, you're not a part of the true real church. Hmm. Hmm. Now I'll break news for some of you. Believe it or not, there will be Democrats in heaven. There will be Republicans in heaven. There will be people that are non-denominational in heaven. There will be people that are Lutheran that are in heaven. There will be people that are Baptists that are in heaven. There will be people that are Methodist or Presbyterian. You, you get the picture. These are all things that we claim on the earth, but, but in heaven, it'll just be the one true church. Now, the second characteristic of a cult is that salvation is earned. Salvation is achieved by human works. Meaning I need to do this amount of good and I definitely need to make sure that I don't do that amount of bad, especially if the cult leader is calling me out for it or saying I should do something. And if you're a little confused, this is what I mean by that. Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 9 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So it's all about the grace of God. That's why we have salvation and it's through faith. And when I'm referring to the leader calling you out, I'm not talking about you cuss somebody out and then he or she calls you out and tells you you need to chill. I'm talking about calling you out for like weird, unbiblical stuff. So an example that I'll give you that I saw on Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey was like the leader was like, hey, you need to marry this man. And dude already had like 10 wives or, hey, you need to come sleep with me tonight. And he already has like 15, 20 wives. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. Stuff that you can clearly look in the Bible and be like, mm, ah, mm, that's not in there. What you talking about? And this leads us into our third point. They will use guilt, manipulation, oppressive tactics, anything to make you stay in the cult. Strip away your choice. Now, when I was watching this documentary, of the FDLS, they had like a whole community and people could get booted from that community when they didn't do exactly what the leader said, or they challenged him in any type of way, or he saw them as a threat that people might want to listen to them, listen to them instead of listening to him as a leader. And something that I saw is that they constantly made the outside world seem pure and only evil. And it was a bunch of them who were born and raised into it. 
And when you're born and raised into it, that's another level of brainwashing. And I just was thinking about like how some Christian children, they feel like they are born into the exact same mess. And that is a super smart trap by the devil that he tries to put on, especially Generation Z and millennials who pretty much have always been in the church. He wants us to start thinking like, was I brainwashed to believe this? Like, how do I know if the Bible is even real or how do I even know if the Bible is true? And something that I saw on this documentary is that these people could not challenge or explore or research. It was just like, shut up and believe. But as Christians, especially if you have that feeling or that thought of or questioning like, man, was I brainwashed? Like, how do I even know if this is really true or how do I know if this is really real? We can read. We can research. We can ask questions like they couldn't ask questions. It's okay for us to go up to our leaders and be like, hey, tell me where you find that this is wrong or show me in the Bible where it says we should do it like this. That's okay. And that's a huge difference between a cult and being a Christian. And this is huge. This is this is huge. Research how the Bible got to the form it is now. I hear a lot of students, I hear a lot of younger people bring up, you know, well, this is a bad interpretation of the Bible and there are interpretation errors or there were a whole bunch of cover ups because they saw some Instagram story or a little TikTok video. Make sure you research that video or that story you saw and just don't hold it as the absolute truth. And then what you have to do is you really, really have to ask yourself this question. Are you searching for truth? Or are you searching for what's comfortable for you? I'll say that again. Are you searching for truth or are you searching for what's comfortable for you? Because you, some of us, we, we know the Bible pretty well, but we don't like the Bible calling us out. We don't like the Holy Spirit convicting us on certain things. But we got to be aware of what 2 Timothy 4 verse 33 tells us. It says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say, what their itching ears want to hear. If you're a little uncomfortable, nothing's wrong with that. Desire truth over comfort. The fourth characteristic of a cult is that the cult leader, whom they often will call a prophet, is the only one who can interpret the Bible. He has all the secrets and revelations. And the example that I saw in this documentary is the, the first cult leader, the first prophet. He was like, when I die, I will be raised from the dead and be in a younger form. Guess what? When he died, dude stayed dead. And then there was something where the cult leader was like, there's about to be a major catastrophe and we all need to travel to this place. And this is going to be like the first sign at the end of the world. And the Lord has told me it will happen this date. You think it happened? Nope, it didn't. Up, oh, just kidding. My fellow members, that was a test. You have passed a test. Way to be obedient to me. Like, nah, bruh. You are making up stuff, my friend. Now, when you look at a, a cult leader or a Christian leader, what will be the difference? A Christian leader, they're still going to have flaws. And I've seen people look up to a church leader so much that when the church leader stumbles, they act like God stumbled or God's not there anymore. But when we look at the Bible, the leaders stumble all the time. They are leaders. They aren't saviors. It's only one savior, and that's Jesus Christ. So just realize the leader of a church is not Jesus. 
we need to give them grace. We need to admire them, but don't worship them. Jesus should be the only one on a pedestal. Not him, not her, not your church leader. And I was just thinking, like, what if someone in Bible times had a person like they had King David on their pedestal or they had King David to a point where they admired him and they got to worshiping him? They could either start thinking things that were wrong were right, like adultery, like, man, I need multiple women. See, I told you all man God needs like, man, it's it's crazy. Just the only thing I could have one woman, I need multiple women or if you see something you want, you take it. Or how about this one? This is definitely an American culture thing. Once you've done so much, just chill. And I just listed a, a few things that King David stumbled with and got him in some trouble. So if that got King David in trouble and you look up to King David and you're doing everything he does to a fault, what do you think is going to happen to you? You're going to stumble too. Or how about on the opposite end of the spectrum? is somebody could end up hating God and thinking everything King David said was wrong and a lie. Like there must not be a God then, or I hate this God then. If he allows this to happen, then I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And that's when we need to apply grace. We need to know that he's a sinner. We are all sinners. And that's when we need to just be in the word ourselves and know that we might have to be the one to call out our church leader. And you know what? You might have to be the someone for them to lean on when they do stumble. Our foundation has to be rooted in God and not in our pride or ego, though. The fifth characteristic of a cult is that they claim to be Christian, but they're going to deny something in the Bible, something that is necessary for saving faith. And I'm going to go straight to the sixth point with this. They will add or have additional sources of doctrine or revelation besides the Bible. Revelation meaning they think they can tell you when exactly the world will end. The book of something is not an explanation or something to support the Bible. It tries to be another source of absolute truth. And when you look at it, it contradicts the Bible or aims to replace the Bible. So if you're wondering, what do I mean by like contradicts? So an example would be, It says you have to do this many good works to get into heaven. Or the book says something like Jesus is not God. Or this is a big one. They say that you don't necessarily need to follow the Bible. You need to follow the book of fill in the blank and be specific to that in order to be saved. So to sum that up real quick, cults, they usually follow or claim to follow a system of doctrine but it is usually dictated by an individual or an organization. They may say they are Christian, but their doctrines would typically deny one or more of the doctrines or truths of scripture from the Bible. They have additional sources of scripture and place a power in their leader that he or she is usually the only one who can interpret this. Now, on this episode of Cults or Christian, I have to make sure that I leave you knowing that the center of Christian doctrine is Jesus and what he did for our salvation. So that right there can tell you if it's a cult or it's Christian. Are they talking about Jesus or are they talking about what some prophet or some dude or some woman said? That is not in the Bible and happened to be the only prophet to interpret this and create a whole new book.
a whole new book, which Jesus never mentions in the Bible or no one else in the Bible ever mentions this book or cites this source. If you really look at the Bible, Jesus so many times was quoting the Old Testament. Jesus never quoted some random book. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, he quoted the Old Testament. There are tons of people in the New Testament who quoted the Old Testament. And there are tons of things in the Old Testament that got us looking forward to the New Testament and looking forward to Jesus. They didn't have us looking to any other book. Now, there are three big things that really help identify that is Christian. And the first thing is that Christians are going to look at scripture alone. The Bible is the only source. The Bible is the only source for doctrines on which we must rely and which our teachings must be judged. We cannot add or subtract from God's word. No adding or subtracting. God gives us everything we need to know in scripture. The second big thing is that grace alone. Our salvation is by God's grace alone through Christ's death and resurrection. We cannot do anything to earn salvation. And the third thing is faith alone. Those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. Through faith in Jesus, we receive forgiveness. We receive justification. And that's because of his perfect life and his death on the cross. Now, I have to point this out that Jesus is a leader too, but he's not a cult leader. Jesus is not going to try to manipulate you or try to brainwash you. And instead of talking about how much he cared for you or how much he loves you, he showed us. He died for us. He put the money where his mouth was and he paid a debt we couldn't afford. Most cult leaders, they want to be served. Jesus came instead to serve and to show us unconditional, unmatchable love. So like I said, he's not just a leader, he's my savior. He's your savior. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Cult or Christian. Peace punch, Captain Crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I'm out.